All right, good morning, church. Um, our, we're going to have two passages this morning. The first passage that I will be reading from is 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to follow, continue to follow along in Samuel, uh, verses 10 through 15. So if you would uh, mark that in your Bibles. But then also, uh, after we read that, I am going to read Psalm 34. And uh, we will start with those two passages. First of all, 1 Samuel 21 verses 10 through 15 it says and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath and the servants of Achish said to him is not this David the king of the land did they not sing to one another of him in dances and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achis said to his servants, behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house. And then if you would turn with me to Psalm 34. This is a Psalm of David. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear, who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, old children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so I will explain to you here in a minute why I've read two passages, or you will see as I go along in my sermon. But let's go ahead and start with 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. We'll start there, and then we'll move our way to Psalm 34. But uh, last week, let me give you some context here. Last week, we, we studied verses uh, 1 through 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 21. And there we read about David fleeing from Saul. 
And the very first place that he stopped as he left uh, Saul's presence, Saul's and Jonathan's presence, with, was the city of, of, of Nob. And there we understand that uh, Nob was the city of the priests or the home of the priests. And David stops there to gather food and also provisions for himself. Now, during this visit, we see a different David than before. Before we remember David, when he defeated Goliath, he was strong and courageous. And now we see a completely different type of, of, of person. Instead of being courageous and righteous, he turned into a fearful liar who was running for his life. And uh, this was a pattern. It was, it was a pattern that was beginning, and we can start to see, or we begin to see that pattern develop all the way through 2 Samuel to the point where he sins with Bathsheba, and uh, he is a professional liar at that point, a professional deceiver. Uh, so we talked about how sin, you know, when it has a pattern, that's, that's when we have to start getting concerned. In actuality, we should be concerned about sin all the time, even before the pattern begins, because the Lord has told us to be concerned about our sin. But so the once a, a courageous and righteous man turned into this, this fearful man who was, who was lying so that uh, basically he could save his own life. And the man who once defeated Goliath in faith, we see him now running from King Saul in fear. So it's this complete, per, different person that we're seeing. Uh, fear, we understand by looking at David and, and, and how he responded to fear, we come to understand that fear leads us to do some very foolish things. For David, it led him to stop trusting in the Lord and really to start trusting in his own flesh. Instead of trusting in the providence of God over his life, he decided, well, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to do what I think is best. Well, this in turn led him to sin against God and also Ahimelech, the high priest there. And we see, we, we, we're going to start to see as we go along for Samuel, we're going to see the consequences of those sins against the Lord and also against Ahimelech. Now, this helps us to understand the difference between David and Christ, because all up, up to this point, uh, David could do no wrong. He was the man after God's own heart. He was, was going to be the better king. Uh, he was all this stuff that, that, that Israel was, was being blessed with with David. He was the conquering uh, warrior. He was all these things that pointed to the man and the savior they were waiting for. And then all of a sudden we see this. And it's good for us to see this. It was inevitable. It was going to happen to David because he's not Christ. And so when we see David's sin in Scripture, it reminds us that David is not Christ. He is like us. And that's the diff biggest difference between, uh, that we see between David and Christ. Although David was a foreshadow of Christ, uh, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, he is not the promised Savior. See, when David was tempted, he failed and he sinned. When Christ was tempted, he had no sin. So that's the wonderful story that, that we see and the wonderful comparison that we see within David's life here. Uh, and we'll see plenty more because although David was a man after God's own heart, David was also a man who sinned and sinned greatly. And we'll continue to see David's downfall and, uh, and, and why he's different than Christ. But we also talked about how fear leads to irrational behavior. This was evident with David's actions in our passage, not only today, but as I said, we'll continue to see his irrational behavior as we march on through First and Second Samuel. But particularly when he left the city of Nob and sought refuge in enemy territory. 
we, we, we read the, the story in verses 10 through 15, and it's kind of hard for us to understand why, why David is, is running to his enemies, and we'll talk about that. But it is there that where, where God humbles David and makes him realize that life is ultimately in his hands. Life is ultimately in God's hands. And when I read the story, it's very humbling for me, and I think it would be humbling for you, too, that whenever we read a story like this, we can remember a time in our lives, our times in our lives, when we made foolish decisions. And we were doing things opposite of what God had commanded us to do. And it was in that moment that God humbled us and made us realize our, our lives are not in our hands, right? Our lives are in his hands. So this is a very valuable lesson for David. See, as God's chosen people, we who are fearful of many things, we can learn a lot from this passage. So my prayer for all of us is that God give us the wisdom to understand, uh, the conviction to change our minds, and then also the courage to respond as we should as we study this passage. Now let's talk about the fact that David just loses his mind here in verses 10 through 15. As soon as David leaves Ahimelech's presence in, in verse 9, he retreated to Achish. And Achish was the king of Gath. Now, this was a really bad decision based on two things. Number one, Achish was the king or was a king of the Philistines. Okay, that's the first really, uh, that's really, that's the first thing that really tells us that this is a really bad decision. Also, Gath was the hometown of Goliath. Okay, so consider those two things. Why would David do something like this? Why would he do something so foolish? Uh, as we stated before, fear drives us to irrational behavior. We can all think of a time where we were running in fear of something and we did not make good decisions, not even decent decisions. We made horrible decisions because of our fear. And the Bible says that David, that he rose and fled that day from Saul and he went to Achish. And so we see like the, the irrational behavior of David and, and, and what was driving him uh, as soon as he got what he needed, the provisions that he needed from, from Nob, he just completely ran away just because he was so, uh, so afraid of King, of King Saul. Maybe David thought, the enemy of my enemy should be my friend. As I try to understand why David would run to his enemies, maybe he was thinking that. We know that David at least thought that Gath was a safe place from Saul. He was not thinking everything through, but he figured... I'm afraid of Saul, afraid is the, uh, Saul is the immediate threat, and he, I know he's not going to go to Gath, so I'm just going to go there. Now, it might have been a safe place from Saul, but that didn't mean it was a safe place overall. Looking at the two factors that made Gath a dangerous place for David. First of all, David was running to his enemies to hide from Saul. Uh, Achish was also known as Abimelech. And Abimelech is the person who is, uh, who is re referred to in Psalm 34. Now, not to be confused with Ahimelech, Ahimelech was the high priest. So we're trying to follow along here, right? All these names, Ahimelech, Abimelech, and whatever else. But these are two different people. David, uh, when he runs to uh, Achish or Abimelech, he is running to the Philistines, and David would have been on the most wanted list on, on, on the Philistines, or for the Philistines. See, David, up to this point, the Lord had given him many victories over the uh, army of the Philistines. 
In fact, Scripture, up to this point, we've talked about how many times David went out, fought the Philistines, and defeated them. And he, how, we also read that he had more victories than any other person against the Philistines in Saul's army. So victory after victory, David was, was, was achieving victory after victory, and this was the place that he was going towards. So he was well known in this area. So that's how desperate he was. Now the second thing, David ran to the hometown of the hero that he killed. Uh, he killed Goliath, and I think that was in chapter 17, uh, and, and Goliath was from Gath. So David fled to the town where Goliath was beloved. And also, um, he not only fled to that town, but notice, look at verse 9 of chapter 21. What is David carrying when he flees over there? Well, he's carrying the sword of Goliath. And oh, by the way, this was no normal sword. Even David said, when he was handed the sword uh, by Ahimelech, David said, there is none like this sword. He said, give it to me. So this sword would have been recognizable, easily recognizable. Um, it would have been detected by, especially by the people of Gath, uh, because Goliath was their hero. It was like going, it's like going into, I, I believe, is it referral where Nolan Ryan is born? There's a sign that goes into, it says home, birthplace of Nolan Ryan. If Nolan Ryan goes into Referio, I guarantee, even to this day, people are going to know who he is. Well, this, that's the same kind of picture we're getting where Goliath was from Gath and people knew who Goliath was. He was a mighty warrior. And, and, and so David goes in to Gath carrying Goliath's sword. So seeing the man who killed Goliath with his sword, it would have been a slap to the face of the people from uh, Philistia. So to make matters worse, though, at this point in time, it seems that David was completely alone. I know last week we talked or uh, we, we read that David was trying to get food for him and, and, and the young men who were with him. That's what it says in verses one through nine. But he either uh, he, he was either lying or these young men hadn't joined him yet. And up to this point, because David lied so much in verses one through nine, we can probably safely assume that he was just lying to Ahimelech when he was asking for food for multiple people. Uh, but this, as we look at this picture, was the Philistines' best chance of killing David. And David did not realize that until it was too late. He, once he realized what he had done and how foolish his decision was, uh, at that point he, he was out of options, uh, or at least his options were very narrow. Now look at verse 11. Once David goes over there, it says that the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. See, the servants of Achish recognized David right away. Once he made his presence before the king, they recognized him. They even referred to him as King David. Did you catch that? They didn't say King Saul. So they knew the turmoil that was going on between Saul and David. But they also knew who the people of Israel loved. They also knew somehow that David had been anointed 
or that God's hand was on David to be the next king. They at least knew that. So they referred to him as King David, but also they knew the exact song that the Israelites sang to David as he won victory after victory over the Philistines. So, so they, they knew David very, very well. But that's when David knew he was in trouble. That's when he recognized what a big mistake he had made. In verse 12, it says that David took these words to heart. A lot of times when we see those, that phrase in the Bible, it's like, oh, like, you know, you're, you're very flattered by those words or you're very proud of those words or you're, you're, it, you, you love the words that have been spoken to you. But here it's the opposite. It is a phrase of, of fear, so to speak. He took these words to heart and listen. It says he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So right there and then, he realized, oh no. I think we have all had that moment before. I think we can all relate to David here. We were faced with the crisis that we responded to in fear instead of faith. And our fear led us to irrational and, a, and, irrational and foolish decisions. And the enormity of our mistake was right before us. It's like that moment of truth where you come to realize, like, my actions have led me to this. There's no one else to blame but me. And I, 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 I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. What do we say? Lord, help me now. Right? There have been moments like that where you just fall on your knees. You just cry out to the Lord. It makes for a wonderful prayer because you're completely vulnerable to the Lord at that moment. There's no thinking about lunch. There's no thinking about breakfast. There's no thinking about anything else. You're not, you're not focused on anything but seeking the Lord. And that's the picture that I get from David here. Scripture doesn't say that he fell to his knees. Scripture doesn't say that he fell to the ground or anything else. But we're human. We've been at that moment before. We know the desperation that he felt once he realized he made a huge mistake. When we're in moments like that, the fear that we have or the fear that we had, it automatically turns into or instantaneously turns into anxiety. There's a, that's a different level. There's fear and then there's anxiety. Fear is where it starts. Anxiety is where fear takes you. Because when we really think about it, anxiety is irrational behavior. That's hard for me to say because I deal with that at times. And it affects us all differently because of different stresses in our life. But here he reaches a state of anxiety. And we've been there where we we're immediately sorry for our lack of trust in the Lord. And then once we figure out that we're in trouble, maybe we say, if only, if only if I would have done this, if only I wouldn't have done this, if only I would have listened to pastor. I'm just joking. <laughs> if only I would have listened to the Lord for sure. If only. See, David did the only thing 
that he could think of. He acted like he had lost his mind. And it worked. It worked. Kids, don't get this idea. Your, your parents won't fall for this. It's already been written here. We know, we know that that's not the case. But he, he acted like he lost his mind. Look at verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Now, not sure what it means that he made marks on the doors of the gate. Not sure if he was scratching the doors with his fingers. It was just odd behavior, whatever it was. Completely odd behavior. Achish looked at him and said, no, this is not, this is not the mighty warrior David. He's gone mad. He's gone crazy. And I have too many crazy guys here in our nation around us. I don't need another one. So that, that what David thought of at that moment, it, it worked. Because when Achish inspects David carefully, he tells his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? That you have brought this fellow to have to behave as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? As we look at that incident, it's unbelievable that something like that worked and fooled uh, Achish, the king of the Philistines. And not only Achish, but also his servants. Now, as we look at that story, if it weren't for another piece of scripture, we might walk away from this passage thinking that David was just a brilliant man. Like, man, David, he quick on his feet. He, he thought of what exactly to do right at the right moment. Maybe he had all this planned out. No, he didn't. Because later David reflects on this event and he writes a psalm about it. And that's in that psalm, David attributes his salvation that day to the Lord alone. Now let's turn to Psalm 34. Now you understand why I read Psalm 34 along with 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses uh, 10 through 15. Now, when we look at this psalm, let's first look at the title of the psalm. It says that it is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That's the context of this psalm. So sometime later, not sure when, but David writes this psalm to reflect that exact event or this exact event that we're talking about here in 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 15. Um, one thing about this psalm is that it's an acrostic psalm. That means uh, each, the very first uh, letter of each word represents, it represents something. Here it is, it is the, the, the pattern of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, that, that's just for you to know. A lot of these psalms are structured in certain ways. But it's considered a psalm of, of thanksgiving and also of wisdom. And I, I want to point out how fitting those two things are in the situation that David finds himself in. Uh, thanksgiving and wisdom. As we said, David makes a serious error. In fact, he made several errors. And the Lord saved him. From those things saved him from those mistakes now you've been there before as well where you have you have sinned against the Lord you have made grave mistakes and the Lord has saved you from that think about what David is going through right now how valuable is the thankfulness and wisdom that one gains 
from going, from going through something like that and coming out the other end. Coming out the other end, praising the Lord. Like I said, we've all been there before. Now, I, I want to look at this psalm in, in two different sections. The first section is the Thanksgiving portion of the psalm. Uh, this is found in verses 1 through 7. Now, when we look at verses 1 through 7, we're, we're, we're going to do a high level for this psalm because if, I mean, we could camp out here for several weeks, if not months, on this psalm just preaching through it. But doing a high level is going to give us some understanding of, of what David is thankful for and the wisdom that he gained through his experience. So the Thanksgiving portion of this psalm, verses 1 through 7, uh, from what David learned through his experience, he says to the Lord. He says to the Lord. Verses 1 through 3. I'm not reading them. I'm paraphrasing them. And this is kind of Ricky Garcia language here. Your name and my praises to you shall continually be in my mouth. Because you are so great, we shall all magnify your name together. That's what David says from, from coming out the other end of this experience. Look at verse 4. I sought you and you answered me. Praise God. Hallelujah. That when we seek the Lord, he answers us. How much does that add to our faith? He says, in fact, you delivered me from all my fears that I had at that moment. At that moment where I cried out to you. At that moment where I felt helpless. At that moment where I did not know what to do. I cried out to you and you answered me. Answered me, the God of all creation. He heard the cry of David and he answered him. How wonderful is that? That we serve a God who can look over millions of people, He can be anywhere and everywhere. Yet He cares. For each individual person. That when we cry out to him. He answers our prayer. He continues verse 6. Those who seek you are blessed. And they will never be ashamed of doing so. I was helpless and cried out to you. You heard me from heaven and you saved me from my trouble. Verse 7, I now know that your love and your protection for your children is unceasing, it's special, and it's powerful. As David looks at his situation, that's what he's thankful for. God has saved you from many, many things. I ask you this morning, what are you thankful for? Have you thought of thanking the Lord? I have formed a bad habit many times and I have to always correct myself in fact last week and this week I, I in order to help me to to really think and to to be focused on my sermon I've been going for a walk so I get up a little bit earlier and I go for a walk a 30 to 45 minute walk and in this when I'm walking I'm praying to the Lord I'm thinking about my sermon I'm going through things in my head just how I want to preach the the the, the sermon that I've prepared but the very first thing I try to do is I try to pray. And I noticed last week when I went for my walk is that I just I just approached God like he was just a normal 
guy standing next to me. And as I was walking along, I stopped and I, I thought to myself, what, what in the world are you doing? This is the God of all creation. This is the God who's given you life, who has called you into his grace, who has gifted you, who has blessed you. This is the eternal, everlasting God that you are approaching at this moment. And yeah, I know we, we know scripture and we know well, we can approach his throne of grace with full confidence. We know that. And we know, you know, God is our friend because we have peace with him. We know all these things, but he is still God. And I think the, the, the right approach from us in prayer to him it should always start off with thankfulness. Thankfulness for him having mercy on us, for him blessing us, for all the wonderful things he's done to us. But what, what do we do? We get right to the point. As if we're just, I'm, I'm in and out. I'm, I'm going to place my order in and then I'm, I'm out of here. Let us stop and be thankful for what the Lord has done. Because there are even things that he's done for us that we do not even realize. We're so caught up in our trouble that we forget to think that the Lord has already blessed us. Even if our life was full of trouble for the rest of our years, the Lord has blessed us. But then in verses 8 through 22, David writes the wisdom portion of this psalm. Now, from what David learned through his experience, he says of the Lord. This is what he's saying of the Lord. The first part was what he was saying to the Lord. Here is what he says of the Lord. All who take refuge in the Lord will see with their own eyes and experience with their own hearts that the Lord is the Lord is good. His mercy and grace are endless. Verse eight, verses nine through ten. Revere and serve the Lord because you lack no good thing. He is gracious and kind. Verses 13 through 14. The Lord is pleased with reverence. From an obedient heart, an obedient heart is one who keeps a muzzle in his mouth and lives a life of repentance. Uh, verses 15 through 18. The Lord sees and hears everything. Therefore, he knows all things. He who knows all things keeps an eye on his children. He protects them while placing himself against their enemies. And then verses 19 through 21. Don't be deceived. Many are the afflictions of the Lord's chosen, but he will keep them whole. The Lord will judge the wicked for their sin and will rescue his chosen from the grips of their enemy. You see, when I put a, when, when, when this is the section that I usually bring in a, bi, a biblical truth, there is a treasure of truth right here. We, what we learn of the Lord whenever we, go through something like this is invaluable. And all the things that I've said from verses 8 through 21, these are in my own words because as I look at that passage, I'm reminded of the things that I've been through and the things that I've learned of the Lord. And these things are applicable. They fit right in. See, the Lord is good. When we look at this psalm, what an amazing psalm. But even more impressive is the lesson gained from David's experience. David, in his fear of Saul, was leaving a trail of sin behind him. He's not done yet either. 
His lack of trust in the Lord led him to think irrationally. Instead of running to the Lord, instead of running to the Lord, he decided to run to his enemy for refuge. What a great sin that was. But listen very carefully. How many times when we are in fear of something, how many times do we run away from the Lord and to the enemy? To take comfort in things that are not of God, but to take comfort in things are that of the, the enemy. We're, we're no different than David. What David has done here in this passage, we've done it too. We do it often. So we recognize that David has committed this great sin that he's ran away from the Lord and run to the enemy. Well, what a great sin that is committed when we do the exact same thing. See, although David was unfaithful to the Lord, we know and we see that the Lord remained faithful to David. And he showed him his providential care and also his power through one of David's biggest mistakes. I love when David says in Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, as far as a, an application, um, as I said before, I use the word anxiety. I think David was anxious whenever he realized he made this big mistake and he was standing before his greatest enemy all alone. I think he, he felt the weight of his decision and, and, and he, was, he, he thought he was about to die. In fact, when you read the psalm, you can see uh, what he was wrestling with, the terror that was upon him. That was an anxious, anxious moment for him. As Christians, when we have anxious moments like that, we need to learn to cast our anxieties on him because the Bible says he cares for us. So let me ask you this, church. What are you running from? What keeps you up at night or makes your stomach turn in knots? What plagues your mind, even in peaceful times? What troubles your thoughts and makes you question your faith? There's something. There is something. and that, That's for everybody in here. Don't be that person to say, no, I'm good, because you're not. There's something that is bothering you. There's something that you are fearful of. We're all guilty of that. Because there are things that we all fear. And these fears drive our actions and they drive our attitudes. We make excuses and claim that if only this or that would be different, then we would be different. If things were better, then we would be better. But that's not true. See, what we do not realize is that fear or the fear that we're enduring is testing our hearts. It's testing us. And as it tests our hearts, it's exposing the sin that lies deep inside, that normally that we can hide, normally the sin that we can keep from coming to surface. But now we're fearful of something. And maybe that fear has reached the level of anxiety and you cannot keep that sin hidden anymore. Well, fear has a way of doing that, exposing the sin that is deep inside. Because of fear, many of us run to idols. Why? Because they comfort us instead of running to God, who is the God of all comfort. 
See, through your fears, God has tested and tried your heart. And you and I, we have been found lacking. We have been found lacking because somewhere along the way, we have not trusted in the Lord. So what is the response to that? Well, the gospel response to that is to repent and trust in the Lord for all of your fears. Remember the words of David. He said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. That is the only stronghold that we have. That is the only place of refuge that we have. It's, it's in the Lord. See, our fears will not, dis- not disappear, but instead of running to the enemy for refuge, through repentance, we will run to the Lord. And the Bible says, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Now, one of the toughest things for Christians to learn is to cast their anxieties on the Lord. I see a lot of confusion whenever that um, is talked about. Many think it's like uh, casting your anxieties is like just, just a one-time event where you, you picture you have a stone or you have a rock and you're casting a single rock into a lake. Well, in a lifetime, you and I will have countless fears. And those countless fears will, will evolve into countless anxieties. So the correct picture of us casting our anxieties to the Lord, the correct picture of that is us continually casting our countless rocks of fear and anxieties to the Lord. As those fears surface, as they make themselves known, we're tossing them to the Lord. As we suffer through pain, as we suffer through doubt, as we suffer through sorrow, because many are the afflictions of the righteous, the psalm says, we continue to cast our anxieties towards him. As we persistently do this, that's when you and I will see, in fact, we will taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Every time, every time, this poor man, as David said, every time this poor man has cried out to the Lord, He has heard me and he has saved me from myself. He has saved me from the enemy. He has saved me for himself. Now I implore you to stop trusting in the enemy. And what I mean by that is stop trusting in the idols that you have built up around you. They are not your God. They cannot protect you. They are not a place of refuge. They have no life in them. So stop trusting in the enemy. Stop trusting in yourself. You're not equipped to be able to handle everything that is going on in your life. You were made to look towards your creator When things are overwhelming for you. You were made to depend on him, not yourself. So stop trusting in the enemy. Stop trusting in yourself. But trust completely. In the Lord. Who will guard you and keep you in the midst of your fears. Let us pray.